Welcome back to The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling. This is officially our last episode for the season, and I'm thrilled to introduce this conversation with my guest today, Ursula Morgan, an executive who's had a successful track record and flourishing career in tech and in publishing, and who now finds herself searching for her next opportunity. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Ursula Morgan is a C-suite executive and advisor, part of the 2% of women leaders who have attracted investment from the VC establishment. She's known for generating scalable revenue businesses and top producing teams, and most recently, her focus in the ESG and hospitality sectors after an impressive career in publishing and tech. If you've ever found yourself wondering what your next career move should be, you'll enjoy my conversation with Ursula. And I look forward to welcoming you to the first episode of our new season next week with an impressive entrepreneur who started in Canada but has made her mark on the US market and beyond, creating a brand that taps into one of the hottest customer trends at the moment. But for now, here's my chat with Ursula Morgan. Ursula, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. And I like to start by going to the origin story of my guests' journeys. Uh, I'm curious to know, in your case, growing up, what kind of career were you thinking you'd, uh, you'd be doing later in life? And was it at all connected to what, you, what you're actually doing today or one of the many things that you've done uh, am- among mm. your, your career chapters? That's a really interesting one. Nobody's asked me that before. Um, I wanted to be an air stewardess. Wow. And my dad was working for Aer Lingus, which was the, then just like British Airways and, and all the big, um, all the big airlines, they were owned by the state. So my dad worked for Aer Lingus and, um, I, um, we grew up in, in a, a town in North County Dublin that a lot of people worked at the airport because it was right by the airport. And I could think of nothing more amazing than being an air hostess. And I was very lucky because my dad encouraged me to travel. So I'd even fly over to Paris for student exchanges on my own from the age of 14. Oh, wow. I was told what the rights were and what I could do and not do. And like, this just really emboldened me, like both my parents did. And it's interesting because when some when people usually ask me who am I, I always say I'm a fearless explorer because uh-huh. I've lived in in Ireland, the UK, the moved around the US for the last thirteen years, and back now in the UK. And I and maybe that was my beginning of wanting to be an explorer, and that's the way I could see the world opening up for me was to be an air stewardess. Well, that's re- really interesting because there was kind of that interest in in travel and and exploring uh, and going to Paris at such a young age, you know, would have been a very inspiring experience. Um, tell me about, so, but you did not become an air stewardess. So uh, <laughs> tell me about uh, the path to, you know, choosing what you actually studied in school and what, what your first job out of school ended up being. So um, I... I was uh, a student. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I 
finished my A levels or or a leaving cert in the in the UK, mm-hmm. and um, I loved art and all things art, but I believed I wasn't good at art and. One, but I was very, very, very much into clothes making. So I come from a long line of um, seamstresses. My mum had 10 sisters and every, all of them were in something to do with fashion and textiles and sewing and all of that kind of thing. And so I I grew up from a young age with a huge factory sewing machine in my bedroom. It was larger than my bed, <laughs> half of the room. And, um, and but from that, like started cutting patterns out from a young age, copying clothes um, that I tried to or putting bits and pieces together, breaking things up and putting pieces together. So I really wanted to study fashion and textile. And then I, but I wasn't good at art. And a friend of mine in school, she was going to a careers evening. So Ursula, would you come at me? I don't want to go on my own. So I said, okay. So she wanted to study art and she wanted to study fashion. And she was like the person in school who painted all the murals, great at art, da, da, da. And um, so I sat beside her, one of these people talking to her about what she should do for art. And this guy then turns to me and he goes, what do you want to do? Who are you? And I went, oh, I said, I really would like to do fashion textile. I said, but I couldn't paint that wall behind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that to him. And he said, well, if you want to do it, you should just explore it anyway. So I went back into my career mistress in school um, uh, and um, she said to me, it was a nun, she said to me, oh, well, actually, when you joined the school, we did all these IQ tests. And I remember them doing them very, very, I remember doing them. And she said, oh, your IQ in art is 120. And I said, what? And I said, why on earth was I discouraged from doing art? Like, why did I not study art? And she, she said something like, oh, the Holy Spirit, we're waiting for him to guide you or something. <laughs> Some kind of crazy thing that, like, get out of jail free. So I literally crammed for mum and dad sent me to art history lessons in the evenings. And then I just crammed art, drawing, 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 drawing. And I managed to get into a plethora of art colleges. So, oh, wow. Strangest thing. And I think my life has just been all these little happenstances of just bizarre things that you couldn't really make up. <laughs> well, clearly the Holy Spirit finally put you on the right path. <laughs> Pat me on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then from there then um I actually went and studied graphic design and then um I had a passion for magazines always loved magazines mm-hmm. and uh started working in in London uh in in the magazine industry mm-hmm. as a designer and had a ball Tell me about that experience and uh at that time was it mostly fashion magazines was it uh was it something else and what was you know who what what kind of what kind of individuals would you be working with at that point so I started off in a with an Australian company called Fairfax and they were doing a lot of financial magazines right and then um got married had my first child and decided that the best thing for me would actually be to freelance because it was really lucrative back then mm-hmm. and they were just swapping over from doing everything on galleys and everything to max um aging myself a little bit and <laughs> um so then i did everything from um from Hearst, which is uh yeah. she magazine Cosmo- cosmopolitan good housekeeping all of them so sort of female magazines And then had a second child and um, started working for Design Week. So I could do that for um, three days a week, which was fabulous. So I'd come in on, on Monday, do all the news sections, Wednesday, do the cover for the following week. And 
and Thursday to do just all that, all the articles. So I had a pretty good time of it with um, with um, Centaur Communications for several years. And then I'm curious about the next chapter because you're not in magazines anymore. So a few things happened since. Um, tell me about kind of the next iteration of, of uh, your professional career. Well, the bizarre thing then happened is my husband got moved from London to Bath to Bristol for his work. And there's a publishing house in Bath called Future Publishing. Mm-hmm. So I knocked on their door, started freelancing with them. And um, and it was very handy. I could walk the kids into school in the morning, pick them up in the evening, walk along the canal. It was really nice and really nice sort of really nice way of working. And then after working with them for a while, I was pretty good at doing magazine packaging because in the UK, you get a lot of free gifts. And I always said I was in the gift business, not in right. the magazine business and, uh, and, and covers. And I, the ones that I would work on would sell quite well. Mm-hmm. So I had like a commercial brain and my publisher was going on maternity leave. And she said, Ursula, I want you to look after these magazines when I go away, because I want them to be really well run. So when I come back after having a baby, that like it'll all be smooth and a good handover. And I'm going, okay. we kind of worked really well together anyway. We had similar lines of thought and progression and all of that. And um, so I said, okay. And then while I was doing it, I realized that I had a love for it. And looking at spreadsheets suddenly to me just felt like I was looking at a Cezanne painting or something. Like it just everything just like it painted a complete picture for me. Wow. And I just felt like it just also, I just felt like I was looking at paintings, looking at like the beginnings of something, the middle and then the possible future. And um, because of that, future publishing was amazing. It was like going to university, actually. Amazing Mm. company to work for. And they sent me on a master's of business. Oh, that was nice of them. So I did a master's of business and continued working for them here in the UK. And then another change happened children went off to university and college and um they asked me would I go over and work with them in San Francisco so that was 2010 Mm -hmm. and I thought it would be rude to say no (laughs) (laughs) the explorer's mind was uh, exactly exactly was, was getting excited again and my husband was um, finishing up a job in Channel Tunnel Rail Link. They were building the fast track down to um, down, down to where the tunnel opened up to go to France. And right. um, I said to him, I've got a funny feeling this is actually going to happen. Don't look for another job yet. <laughs> and, and it did. And so I, I spent um, three years with Future Publishing in the US, um, ended up managing portfolio, including their craft products, but also... Mm-hmm. Their gaming, um, all their official, but official Sony, Nintendo, a Microsoft Xbox. So that was so much fun. And then after three years, I got headhunted by a pure digital play, and um, and left there for a shaky startup, is what you do in <laughs> San Francisco. I got the bug. <laughs> Love that. So there was kind of a transition to tech and it's very interesting how this happened for you. There was an interest in fashion and design and, and craft from an early age and, and through your, your mom, right? And and her sisters. Uh, and then you're, you're kind of finding uh, this this territory for, for your career that kind of incorporates all of these things together. So it's quite fascinating. It was really, really fascinating. And it's interesting because 
still, when I go into the US, well, actually they don't anymore because now I'm a citizen, but on the green card, they'd go, what's your profession? Right. And I always said publishing because even though I was no longer doing magazines and people think it's book publishing or magazine publishing, actually mm-hmm. I was still publishing content. It was just digitally. So it's right. exactly the same thing in my head is like putting things out there as publishing. So yeah, it makes sense. It's connected. Yeah. So with that transition to tech and you're talking about the startup in, in San Francisco, uh, we think of the tech industry, especially, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, the U.S. in general as male dominated, although I, I think it's male dominated in every country. Um, what was that like, especially as an outsider coming from a, a, a you know, a connected but different industry? Uh, did you have any challenges with feeling accepted or, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, imposing your leadership or what was the culture like? Oh, um, interesting. It was interesting because a lot of people thought I published a craft business because Create a Bug, which is awesome still, um, published a lot of instructional videos of how to do a lot of DIY and making things. So a lot of people, right. Etsy stores and stuff use it. But actually it was a subscription video on demand platform. Mm-hmm. Long before like Vimeo was really going, it was like the burgeoning days of like Netflix. We all think these things have been going forever. They haven't. Right. And we had to build a tech platform with everything in it from the ground up. There weren't plugins and things that we could use. Mm-hmm. So it was very much um, running a tech platform. But I used to always say, like I was speaking to somebody and going, the reason why nobody notices is because the tech platform is so good and the functionality is so good and the design is so good. And I always knocked on wood and nobody noticed because it worked. Right, right. Um, but the only the only time I really um, sort of faced, I suppose, just strange moments is um, I remember going to uh, an investor conference. And so I'd go into any investor conference and actually a lot of the tech meetups, I'd go and there'd be very few women in the room. Mm-hmm. So I don't try to make a beeline for a while then and go, hello. Right. <laughs> and um uh but but always warmly welcomed but i remember one tech event sometimes people would think that i was either part of the organization that was hosting so they if it was a mm-hmm. visa they'd start trying to pitch me or try to ask me like who should they be speaking to in the room and i'd be like no i'm here to look for money too right <laughs> And then, um, and then one chap was just really re- relentless, and I kept saying, "No, no, I'm here for the same reasons you." And he keeps telling me about his business, and I had one of our bosses with me, and he's six foot six or something. And John just bends over to this man. He said, "She's told you three times, she's CEO of a company. She's here raising cash, just like you." And he literally, this man turned on his heels, didn't even say goodbye to me, and just walked off. And just left. Oh, charming. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it it came from you know other other people in the industry, and it sounds like it's more it's more about the lack of women representation. So there there was some uh, you know some some mistaking of of the role a woman who's in the room might be playing. Yeah, yeah. But um, I always I always enjoyed myself, and I always felt welcome. I never I never felt like out of place. Um, but um, but always would make them, even though I was going to awards or anything, it was women there, I'd always make a beeline and give them support and make sure they were networking and hear about their businesses. 
And so you became, you were president and CEO at, at Creative Bug, um, and you just mentioned the reality of raising funds as a, as a good tech startup would do. Um, what was that experience like? And this was still, you know, 2020, 20, around 2015 to 2018. Um, what was the space like and what was your experience uh, trying to fundraise? And did being a woman impact uh, kind of that uh, that relationship with potential investors in a good way in a bad way i don't know well i've got to tell you i was i didn't realize that only two percent of women led businesses attract vc and pe funding at the time so i, I had no idea i had still no less than three percent today yes yeah and um i so I had no idea of that a few people jokingly said to me i should let my husband be my beard and do some of the presentations for me <laughs> I don't know whether it was half joking, whole in earnest, um, but um, being bloody minded, I said no. <laughs> um, and um, it was just in general fundraising with startups. You're there, you're all the time, you're looking for the next funder. You're making sure you're not burning through much cash. You don't want the team to know that you're fundraising. So I felt like I was carrying bags up and down Silicon Valley, like always looking for like a suitcase, looking for cash type thing, like a bit like a salesperson. Um, it was looking back, it probably would have been easier if I had been a chap. But I think I think I managed quite well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether my accent helped me because it was different over right. there. <laughs> um, I had to know my, it's a bit like um, Shark Tank, Dragon's, Dragon's Den. Yeah. I had to know, so when I was at Future, when you went in front of the board, you mm-hmm. really had to be on top of your numbers. Like it was like Shark Tank, Dragon's Den once a month. Right. And I think that preparation, that grounding so helped me. Mm-hmm. Like I never faulted like on, on numbers I always knew them and I had really a good mentor at Future Publishing and he said Ursula you're going to think this is bizarre but usually the first number that comes into your head is actually right like your instinct is normally right and it always has had, held true for me and I always pass that advice on to people mm. um, uh, interestingly although one of the challenges was everywhere you'd go they had to have different tech Mm-hmm. So I got really, really good at figuring out different monitors, different TV screens, all these things <laughs> up. I think well, like, the headphones for this interview should have been really <laughs> easy for you. Ready? <laughs> I got used. I'm, I'm getting around it a bit. Didn't work. But I, used, I, mean, I was very good at fixing that. But I'd always a chap would always jump up and try and help me. Um, right. And right. Like, no, I've got this. <laughs> But it's interesting what you said uh, a little earlier that you hadn't realized at the time that it was, you know, 2% uh, of women-led tech companies that did get funding or less than 2%. And I think a lot of of women I speak to who have had to fundraise uh, for for the company, they speak of, you know, a bit of naivete or innocence (laughs) about these things tends to help. Because if you go in thinking of the limitations, you know, that might exist for women, uh, you're kind of, you know, you're creating the own block, uh, the, the block yourself. But, yeah. you know, going in with confidence and knowing your company inside out and, and what you're what you're in there for uh, will open doors. Um, so I think it's a it's it's a good lesson for women to, uh, you know, not to be afraid and to keep trying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when the investors came on board, they knew what they were getting as well. Like mm-hmm. they, so I think that was really important. 
This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. And you, uh, I believe, I believe spent time at another U.S. organization, um, going to um, a portfolio company of consumer-facing brands. Why the change, and what attracted you to that new role? So, um, Creative Bug became my baby, and the the everybody in it. I mean, we were all great partners. And um, one of the one of the final things we did was we got Creative Bug into all the a load of libraries. Actually, now they're in nearly most of the largest libraries in the US. Just like Lynda.com, that was an ambition to have right. it in like Lynda.com. And um, that was a really really tricky IT thing to do. Like, oh my lord, because we started off with one of the most technological libraries so we got our api to go into the background all the libraries wanted it to connect everybody could log in with their own library library um username and password and they wanted us to verify then that they could see all these lessons behind the paywall so the first one was difficult but like we were talking with it people but then some of the other libraries were literally held together with bubblegum and tape like it was um and so like it was this fast like distance between like and, and the types of things we were doing that our API calls were going back and mm. forward on. And um interestingly did that and then just felt what's my next challenge with Creative Bug? Right. And I felt like I I and and I've heard this say that a lot of female and a lot of entrepreneurs talk about they talk about startups like children. So I feel <laughs> like I got Creative Bug out of its nappies into its short pants and starting <laughs> school. Um, I didn't know what my next challenge was going to be there. Right. That was one of the, the things for, for leaving. And the day that I left, it was like I closed the door behind me and I burst out crying. The mm. poor cab driver didn't know where to look. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I felt it felt exactly the same when I yeah. left my kids off at college. I knew they'd be okay. I knew I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. um, like we'd all be fine, but it was still a sad thing. Of course. Leaving. But I just felt like I just wanted another another challenge. And mm -hmm. that's why I left and went to um, a very, very large, um, very, very large portfolio um, in New York and Philadelphia. So I'd spend three days a week in Manhattan in actually is interesting doing back to sewing again. So it was with right. Vogue, Butterick, like all the like um, all of the um, simplicity, mm -hmm. all the big pattern things going, oh, my I wish my mom was alive today and all her sisters, they'd be going, Ursula's made it. <laughs> <laughs> But all the sewing patterns. Um, so that was, that was so much fun. And also um, that felt, that was a, that, that was, that was a lovely, a lovely time for me just being in, in, in that world and mm -hmm. in enjoying that space. 
So you've had a lot of C-suite experience, you know, being CEO, being at uh, different levels of the organization. How do you define leadership and what do you think you bring to your role as a, as a leader working with a team uh, and, and working on implementing a, a specific type of culture within an organization? So I'd say we've got two ears and one mouth. And just really, really listening to everybody within the organization all the way through the organization and partnering with everybody. Um, when you can have diversity of thought and when you can, everybody can share their voice, that's when the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've had so much fun in some of the places where I've worked because I've let people challenge me and we sit down and we have a coffee and we have a debate about things and they'll feel really passionate about something or felt like they haven't been heard about this great idea. And then we sit down and we go, oh my Lord, we match this with this with this. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's going to be something amazing. So um, it's really funny. I don't know whether I feel uncomfortable with the word leadership. Like you have responsibilities as a leader. So you have to yeah. make sure there's enough money coming in, that mm-hmm. everybody's well paid, well looked after, that they feel comfortable. And I like the idea of everybody feeling so good coming into work every day. They're skipping and looking forward to working. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very important. But um, I think it's just a bit part in a in a larger play. Right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting. <laughs> well, and you seem to be someone who leads with a lot of empathy. And, you know, the first thing you said is listening to your employees and, and kind of creating that culture of, of collaboration and, and openness. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a, a leadership based on emotional intelligence a little bit more than traditional hierarchy where a leader is just a boss, right? So you're making, you're creating that space for, for the team to thrive, essentially. Yes, I think that is, that's probably it in a nutshell. <laughs> it's what I'm, it's what I'm hearing. So happy to sum that up. And what would you say was one of the biggest obstacles you faced? And this could have been at, you know, any chapter of your career. What's something that seemed insurmountable at the time? Um, and you were obviously able to overcome that obstacle. Hmm. I'm probably in that situation now. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, that's a, so basically, I moved from the UK to the US in 2010. So for it took me about three years to like establish myself there, go into a room, know people, mm-hmm. attend events and know people, like trade events, that kind of thing. And, um, and now, and also establish who I am because like nobody knew who I was. Um, and now I've come back to the UK and I'm living in the same house because we rented out for 13 years. Oh, wow. So I feel like nothing's changed, but everything has changed, but nothing has changed. And, um, I think where I'm struggling now is reinventing myself back in the UK and trying to figure out like what my path is here. Mm-hmm. And how I'm going to earn a living and support the household and all of that. And mm-hmm. the catalyst of coming back was we had a grandbaby during COVID. Oh. And uh, didn't see, thank you so much. But we didn't see our daughter's bump once live. We 
had arranged for visits and then the laws would change and we couldn't mm. see and all of that. And I just said, I could not as a mother be so far away again. Mm-hmm. So I kind of done that fearless explorer thing again and thrown myself back into the UK without a plan. So I'm trying to navigate those waters now. So definitely I think now is a challenging time, just trying to keep my nerve and find a way to make it all work. <laughs> mm. Well, it kind of, because you're, it's almost like you're, now you're transplanted to the UK after having been in the US for, for many years. Uh, so you're, you're, and, and it's interesting, it happens later in your career, it's the kind of move that one yeah. makes earlier. So you're kind of going through those same steps, but back in your home country again. Yes, yes. It, it's an interesting time and just have to remember to give myself the same advice that I give other people and just hold your nerve and something will come up and it will be the best thing and it will be exciting and mm-hmm. and not just think, oh, Lord, do I, I'm an American citizen as well, so I'm very lucky. So I could go back and pick up a job there in the States. But, right. um, but meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out all the networking here. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of networking, I was going to ask you, so this is something you've you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you bring up this challenge now because you've excelled at building networks and being that fearless explorer, you were able to do it in the U.S., in new industries. Um, so I was going to ask about your advice for, you know, connecting, building networks, especially when one is new in a, in a space, in a, in a different industry or a, a different geography. Um, what's your what's your secret to making those contacts and building kind of a you know that that support group that we all need in our careers? I think the one thing is walking into a room and knowing nobody is hard, and people think I'm an extrovert. My husband is super quiet, um, and but I have to put on that other jacket and just go. No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk over to somebody. And I'm going to find out something really interesting about them. And everybody in this room is really interesting. And I don't think I've ever met anybody who goes, whoa, I love networking. I love walking into like a party or into a conference and getting to know people. But um, I think it's just um, it's just literally going, first of all, like actually going, no, I'm not going to make an excuse. I am going to go to this event. And then the second thing is try and say, I'm going to meet three people at this event and they're going to tell me the most interesting things about themselves. And being that like that really curious about people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny, some of the best leads come from the place you think they're less likely going to come from and other things you're you're really excited about meeting somebody and it might come to nothing. So and sometimes it's this throwaway remark that is the. That is the amazing thing. So I think it is just be brave and just do it. And it's the same for men and women. I, mm. I don't think anybody really enjoys doing it, but just go for it and smile. <laughs> and think there's other people in that room who are new too and try and find them out and all of that. And now that, you know, I think now we're making a, a comeback to in-person events, but for a while and, and you know, we, we did everything virtually and, and online and there's still a lot of that, right? There's still there's still less industry events that are in person. Um, we're still getting on a lot of virtual, you know, events at workshops and whatnot. Um, do you think that is hindering our potential for, for networking? Uh, 
No, I think maybe it's just different. I think it's different. I think, uh, I think there's nothing like meeting somebody for a cup of coffee. Absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing like meeting somebody for a cup of coffee. Um, I think uh, it actually opens up opportunities. So you can network with somebody and you can attend stuff in anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. so for example if anybody's listening to this and just needs a little bit of a pep um i read tara moore's playing big book when it was first published i think it was 10 years ago now Mm -hmm. and actually she came and because i read her book and i read an article about her i plucked up the courage to ask her to come and speak to a lot of artists that i was working with a creator bug um and i did her course and next week she's doing an alumni where she's getting people together who did the course before. And I said to my husband, I keep getting these emails from Tara. We're in San Francisco. I'd so love to do this. And he's going, yeah, what a shame. And then I reread one of the emails and I went, oh my Lord, it's virtual. It's online. I can do it. (laughs) So, so it's kind of, it's kind of a a blessing as well, Mm -hmm. actually, um, to have, to to have the choice of both. And then sometimes people are just a little bit time poor and it's easier to, grab a half an hour with them rather than having to travel to a coffee shop or sit in an office or for half an hour with them. And sometimes yeah. it's easy to do it this way as well. So. Well, and the connecting, the connecting can happen online, right? We all use LinkedIn. So the invitation for the coffee can start as a digital connection okay. and then we can turn it to real life. Yeah, absolutely. And what would be your top advice for women, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether like you, they're intrapreneurs and, you know, working for a company in any industry, but your, your top three tips for women looking to advance their career and just expand their horizons from a professional standpoint? Um, be fearless. Don't be afraid to ask. The other thing that I wished, oh my God, I wish I'd known before was everything's negotiable. And I keep telling my daughter and my daughter-in-law this. And sometimes they look at me and think that's not true. And I wish, and I keep saying to them, I wish somebody told me that before. Mm -hmm. Everything's negotiable. You can do things on your own terms. Your ideas are fabulous. One of the things about female entrepreneurs is we tend to solve a problem that we see ourselves that directly affects us. And usually that is in a space that is sometimes nurturing as well. Um, And then the other thing is why we should all encourage female entrepreneurs that they put 90% of the cash back into the communities around them and their families, where a lot of other entrepreneurs will take their money offshore or do something else with it. So I think we just have to really encourage that and try and find a support network that really understands you. Really, really clear when you're airing a problem, tell them whether you want it solved, you just want a listening ear, or you would like a tiny bit of advice. So lay that out because sometimes you're just literally saying... And you don't want somebody to say, oh, do this, this or this. And like, so, yeah. so I think just be really clear in your communication, what you want of your, from your support network. And then also then be ready to negotiate. Everything is negotiable. Mm-hmm. That's excellent advice. And I, I love the part about everything being negotiable. I think that's something that as women, we tend to forget. I think men might be a little better at this than we are. Well, um, and it's yeah. an important one. Well, Tara did say, so part of Tara's, Tara Moore playing big, 
program and book, she does this thing on negotiation. And she said, we have to really kind of flip it on its head. Remember, you're not negotiating for yourself. You're negotiating for your family. You're negotiating for people you're supporting. You're negotiating for the business. You're negotiating for other people. And then you usually get better at it then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your insights and sharing your journey. I love that explorer's mindset. I'm sure it will take you to amazing new places in the future as well. Uh, and I think this will be uh, this will be very inspiring for women who listen to us. So thank you so much, Ursula. Oh, thank you so much for having me and such a fabulous roster of people and inspiring people in your podcast as well. So thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.